The mark of the beast is the mark of the elite. One world government is a myth. Fear a one world corporation. The beast has many titles. Prince of darkness, Lord of lies, ruler of hell. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. The Coffee Clash Podcast. The Coffee Clash Podcast. The Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we're giving you a deep dive on Episode 3.0, Power Saver Mode. IMDb gave this a 9.4. We have no score yet on the Rotten Tomatoes. One of the reviewers said, Mr. Robot was a comet, blazing brightly in its riveting first season, at the risk of crashing and burning in its second. Version 3 marks a welcome return to form, one that tightens the story, but still seems disarmingly strange and appropriately suited to the current political and cultural moment. Yeah, I believe that Mr. Robot has always been appropriately suited <laughs> to the current political and cultural moment. That's one of the great things. It's Even though it's in the past, it's in the recent past, and it touches upon all the things that we are going through. And then for people our age, there's even that episode that goes over our golden years and evokes a sense of nostalgia. I agree. And I know we talked about this last time. Mr. Robot, I don't think has ever crashed and burned. And no. I don't think it's ever been bad. I do think it struggled a little because of the story it was trying to tell in season two. And it does feel like a return to form in season three already with episode one. I'm hooked again. Yeah, for sure. We did talk about this in The Prepper. Even in an interview, Rami Malek said that this season is a mixture of season one and two together. And Sam Asmel has been quoted saying that he knew season two was going to be different. And oftentimes with TV shows, especially popular ones, they find the first season has a tonality that people like. And then they just rinse and repeat that tonality every season. We have been conditioned to like that. You know, oh, season three, I'm ready to feel that feeling again. Sam Esmail's doing it a little different. I read some more information about where he plans to go and what the tone of the next few episodes are going to be like through episode five, but I don't want to give away any spoilers for people that are worried about that, so I'm going to save it for later on in the podcast and we'll give you a warning. For now, let's just talk about episode 3.0. We mentioned in the prepper the origins of the title, Power Saver Mode, and that in the tech world, this monitors your battery, and when you reach a certain percentage, will shut off features to keep the battery from draining too quickly. However, once the power saver shuts off features, it doesn't necessarily turn them back on once the battery has leveled back up. So before we saw this episode, we were trying to predict what power saver mode could mean. We were thinking for sure it means Elliot because he's just been shot. But it seems after watching this episode that it was about Angela. And how she goes into power saver mode whenever she has feelings for someone. And that's in order to protect herself. Just like power saver mode tries to protect the hard drive so that it doesn't just shut down. Yeah, definitely. But I think this is a theme that's going to continue to reoccur throughout the season and maybe will apply to other characters such as Elliot. For sure. We could use power saver mode. I'm going to use it in real life <laughs> like a dork. Remember when you were a kid and your parents would be yelling at you and you kind of just drain it out? You're like, all right, all right. And you kind of stare out and they know you're not even listening. Are you listening anymore? <laughs> That's you going into power saver mode. 
And I love how they continue to use things with a psychology background. It's clear when they're talking about Angela that this is in service of defense mechanisms for her ego. It seems like we're going to get a lot more of an in-depth review of her psychology this season, not just Elliot's. So in our instant coffee, we also spoke about the beautiful music and scoring that was going on this episode. I looked it up. There were quite a few songs playing. Some of them I found out where. First, we had Come and Get These Memories by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. This was playing during the opening scene at the Red Wheelbarrow with Irving. Whistling Away the Dark by Julie Andrews was playing as White Rose was at the E-Corp power plant. Razor Girl by Dub Virus played during the Capture the Flag event in the underground hacker space. And Over You by Laura Branigan played as Elliot and Darlene were taken to the Red Wheelbarrow later on in the episode. There was also Touch by Daft Punk and Feel the Same by Battle Tapes, but I'm not sure where exactly those were. We review a lot of TV shows, and most of the shows we don't have a segment that goes over the music. But this TV show in particular really calls for it because the music they choose is perfect. And even the sound effects of their original songs in the background really establishes the feel that Sam Esmail wants to give you. In the opening sequence of our podcast, we had that part where the guy's giving a speech on the streets, even though it's in Elliot's head. Mm-hmm. If you listen closely to the background, especially in headphones, the way they give you that ominous feeling, it's just, it's perfection. It reminds me of when you're watching a horror movie. Do you ever try watching one of those with the sound on mute? Suddenly it's not half as scary as it was two seconds ago. It's a lot about the scoring and the music building up the feeling for you. And as you said, the sense of danger and ominousness. Well, Sam Esmel is calling upon more senses of the human body, not just your eyes, but is calling into your ears. And we know that music has a really strong effect on the human being. You can hear a song and it'll remind you of something when you were a child that you haven't thought about since then, but that song brings up this magical power in your brains. Like, remember this file? We never even think about this file, you know? Yeah, we mentioned he does that with color, with the way he positions certain shots visually to create tension. He did that right away in this episode. He does it with the overall color of the background. So we mentioned how a lot of these scenes, it was almost complete darkness because there wasn't supposed to be any electricity, any lights on. But he plays with the hue and what kind of feelings he wants that to evoke for you. This guy, we think we work hard. We have like 30 pages of notes here. And I'm like, oh my God. Can you imagine how many notes he has just for, you know, here's a book for music for this episode. Here's a book for tonality. And I wanted to talk about that because he is super involved in everything. Of course, we have to give credit to Matt Quayle. He's the Emmy award-winning composer that does Mr. Robot. He's also worked on American Horror Story and The People vs. O.J. Simpson. My man is rich. So in an interview with Matt Quayle, they asked him about working with Sam versus Ryan Murphy, who does American Horror Story. And he said, Sam is a little more hands-on. There's really a lot of back and forth with him about particular sounds and different things in the music. AKA, Ryan Murphy was really fun to work with. Sam Esmail, he's a genius, but it's like I'm working with Steve Jobs. Yeah, that's how it felt because he was saying Ryan Murphy came to him in the beginning and gave him ideas about the overall tone and feeling of the show. And then it was sort of like, okay, there you go. Have fun. (laughs) Whereas Sam Esmail, they talked often and he had a lot of notes about everything that he wanted to share. I've had clients, web clients like that. It's a little different because Sam Esmail knows what he wants and knows what to do. I've had web clients that don't really know... (laughs) anything about design and they're like why don't we just make the whole page a logo (laughs) 
I read that logos are really important. Well, and Macquell was also asked about the third season sounds. He said the foundation of the core is the Mr. Robot sound. It's very electronic and quite dark. It's essentially scoring what's going on in Elliot's head, and we're pushing the score out a little more than we did in season two. I've only completed a couple of episodes so far, so it's still evolving. We'll see what it ultimately turns into. Isn't that crazy? I never think about this with TV shows. You think that they have it all wrapped up in a bun before it goes to TV, but oftentimes they're still working on the latter half of the season while the beginning half of the season is still going. Yeah. Isn't that crazy to think about? The amount of pressure that must be on them? I can only imagine. Okay, let's get into our synopsis because we have a lot to talk about for this episode. It opens at the Red Wheelbarrow Barbecue Restaurant, where we are introduced to the new character, Irving. We talked about him last time. We see him arguing with the lady behind the counter about his free milkshake, saying... When we lose our principles, we invite chaos. It's right off the bat, it's showing us, one, I think he might be a little bit of the comic relief for us. But two, he's not someone to mess with, and he is very strict in his principles. To give you a horrible analogy... You ever see the movie Transporter? It's with Jason Statham, and basically he transports things, and he's got a cool car, but basically he's very regiment. Everything needs to be a certain way. Okay. And I think for Irving, he's got to be the same way. He's the fixer, I believe, based off of this first episode. That's his job here. He fixes things. In order to be a fixer, everything has to be done a certain way. If someone gets shot, he has to have you know, this, this, and this to happen in a certain amount of time to keep the person alive, things like that. And he's also showing that no matter what kind of chaos, complications, pressure from other people, he's just going to keep his cool no matter what. So this was a very small example. But while he's talking to her, there's a line of people behind him waiting to be served. He doesn't care. He has something he wants to say. Right. And he's going to prove a point later on when it really starts to build and he gets the phone call about Elliot. Same thing. He just continues to go very smoothly about what he needs to do and is not concerned with people that are following him in a high-speed car chase, you know? Very calm about it. Do you believe that this saying, when we lose our principles, we invite chaos, will come back? Oh, absolutely. I think it's happening right now. And that's what he's trying to say. I mean, that's really the whole mission of what they're after, right? The world has lost focus of some of these really important things. Yeah, but I'm, I'm wondering in regards to, does he end up turning on someone because they lose their principles, either White Rose or Elliot or Mr. Robot? It could be, but I don't think he's going to play a huge role moving forward. I do think he's going to be important, but in a similar way to how Leon was important okay. last season. By the way, I can't wait to see him again on screen. I know. So we also spoke about the next scene where he's called from the warehouse and he's on his way over there because... Tyrell is pleading that he needs to help. He can't let Elliot die. And this is where we see that he has a for sale sign on his car. And it's one of those for sale signs that you see at used car dealerships. So we know from our research that he's a used car dealer, which I'm assuming is his front. Yeah, seems like. Sammy gave us a little bit of a wink wink because there is an Irving's Auto Square in a real location in New York. Oh, wow. (laughs) I didn't know that. Well, and our next scene gets really intense. This is where we go to the nuclear power plant, the E-Corp power plant, which we are assuming is the Washington Township plant. Am I right in thinking that? I believe so, yeah. And we get the speech from the power plant operator. 
about the greatest unsolved mystery and do we see reality as it is. The next line, he says, if I close my eyes and imagine everything we experience, see, think, and do is unfolding simultaneously in a parallel universe, that reminded me a little bit of Angela's affirmations that Mm. she was saying to herself last season. It was a lot about picturing the reality she wanted, closing her eyes and imagining it. So it almost felt like this weird brainwashing line that White Rose or whatever bigger entity is using to get these people to buy into the plan that she has. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Angela was kind of mirroring that later on in the episode to Elliot after she spoke to White Rose. And this brings up the whole time travel thing and parallel universes. And I just, I'm really concerned with podcasting this show because it's so easy to fall down the theory train. And we are going to bring up theories often. And they're all going to be from left field, right field. (laughs) It's easy to get lost in that. What is this show about? Is it about time travel? Or is it kind of late to introduce time travel? Okay, so I think the best way for us to approach it with the podcast and the way we kind of have been all along is to present theories from both sides. The one side very grounded in reality and really looking more at the psychology of things and the concrete information we're being given And the other to the far right side, where it's perhaps very much a sci-fi explanation and there is time travel and parallel universes. If we talk about both sides of things, we We leave it open to hearing all interpretations and not closing off our thoughts and getting stuck in what we believe. So we're going to talk about both of those theories in just a second. We also have to include this next scene where we were saying White Rose, but really B.D. Wong is presenting his minister Zhang there. He's talking to one of his lieutenants, if you want to call it. We don't know this man's name yet, but he's telling him they're both unstable people and he wants the permission to run stage two. Now, we don't know for sure who he's talking about, but we're assuming Tyrell and Mr. Robot or Elliot. And he responds that Mr. Alderson's father used to work for them on this project, unbeknownst to him. Have I ever told you that Mr. Alderson's father used to work for us on this project? Unbeknownst to him, of course. In fact, it was his great engineering work that led to some of our early successes. What an extraordinary coincidence. Now his son works for us after so many years. Time presented us Mr. Alderson when we needed him. Therefore, his will must be our guide. And after Mr. Alderson completes the great work that we need from him, then he can die for us, just like his father. So he didn't know that this is what his work was culminating in, I guess. He was creating these inventions and working on things, but he didn't know the greater purpose. But at some point he must have found out because they talk about him making the ultimate sacrifice. Him being Elliot's father. Correct. Well, that happens often, especially in big corporations. Your assignment is to work on one part of a larger picture, and you're not necessarily privy to all the other parts. Yeah, that's true. And he's also saying Elliot himself has value. They need his skills in hacking, but also his determination, his unadulterated focus and rage. And I don't know how that plays into a plan that's so strictly managed by a person such as White Rose, why that would be something of value. But they say time presented us Mr. Alderson when we needed him. Therefore, his will must be our guide. And after he completes his work, he can die for us just like his father. 
The reason I bring this up again, after that is where we get the zooming out from where they're speaking, the machine they're standing in front of at the plant, and then that keeps going further and further out to the building and then out to Elliot's eye. I did a lot of researching into what this machine could be. Forbes says that according to the sci-fi tropes we've seen for decades, it looks like a machine built for time travel. It resembles a collider or a particle accelerator, a massive tool used in particle physics. So you can take a look at the image we're given in the Mr. Robot episode and then compare it to this one that they pulled up of an actual particle accelerator. And it is very similar, eerily similar, (laughs) okay? But we still don't know exactly what they're using it for. So on the really far sci-fi end of things, we've had some theories like there could be time travel happening. This could be a machine used for that purpose, and it requires so much energy that that's what's leading to the brownouts. And White Rose is working very hard to keep this under wraps for whatever purpose they're using it for. There's also been talk of things like a matrix, not actual time travel, but somewhat parallel realities where we can play out different scenarios and see how they end. Yeah, we had a collector point that out, and they even said, maybe Minister Zhang and White Rose are different people. Essentially, White Rose is Minister Zhang, but in a parallel universe, it's his sister or a woman. Yeah, one of our Clatchers, Sarah, wrote in about that. And she says, they're separate individuals, probably from different dimensions or realities. And this explains why White Rose and Zhang appear to have different goals and even present themselves differently. The audience has never been given information pertaining to the two of them actually being the same person. This is just an assumption we've made because B.D. Wong portrays both characters. I like what she's saying. I think I, I land more somewhere in the middle of that. I think it's the same character because it feels like White Rose or Minister Zhang have not completed this ability yet. That's what he's trying or she's trying to get to. This machine isn't fully functional yet. This is the end game. And I believe somehow White Rose can feel it, maybe? I'm losing myself as I say it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it, Yeah, it's very confusing. But like we said, there's so many hints throughout the course of this episode that it's not something we can ignore anymore, even if it's unlikely That's the type of story Esmail is telling. We have to at least talk about it. Now, just to cap this off, I wasn't sure exactly what a particle accelerator is and what it does. Do you know anything about this? No. Okay, it's a machine that accelerates elementary particles, such as electrons or protons, to very high energies. On a basic level, they produce beams of charged particles that can be used for a variety of reasons. They use electric fields to speed up and increase the energy beams of these particles, which are steered and focused by magnetic fields. You can read about this if you go on to energy.gov. It's very interesting, the things they're putting forth of how they would like to use particle accelerators. Everything from playing a crucial role in scientific discovery. In fact, there's 30,000 accelerators at work worldwide right now. In areas ranging from diagnosing and treating disease to powering industrial processes. They say they could represent cheaper, greener alternatives by giving us clean energy through safer nuclear power with far less waste. They can clean up polluted air and water. They can deliver targeted cancer treatment with minimal side effects, which is very interesting if you think about the fact that Elliot and Angela's parents both got cancer from working here. Were they trying to test a way maybe to fix that using this nuclear energy? They can be used as tools to inspect cargo and monitor test ban compliance. So basically strengthening the nation's security. 
and a lot of other areas that they're trying to branch into. There is a whole treatise that I was reading about this, and you can find it on the report called Accelerators for America's Future. So if you're interested in this little tangent, definitely go check that stuff out. But if we go to the other side of events, the more concrete one, and we look at it more from a psychological perspective, because we've seen a lot of that differences in personality. Elliot is one person, but he presents as both himself as well as Mr. Robot due to the things he's been through. B.D. Wong presents both as Minister Zhang, who's the Secretary of Technology for China, for the government, a very important position, but also White Rose. Right down to Angela, who seems to kind of have two different personalities depending on which purpose she has to serve within society or which person she's talking to, whether that's Elliot or Mr. Robot. So psychology could be behind a lot of this. The question then becomes, why are we involving so much technology and talk about certain sci-fi issues if we're just telling a psychological story? So now I think we need to go to what Esmail actually says about this. Granted, it is cryptic and not telling us a lot as usual, but when questioned about the sci-fi territory they're entering into this season, he said, I can neither confirm nor deny because I don't want to say anything too spoilery, but I will say we try to be as rooted and grounded within the real world as possible. Even though we're in an alternative timeline, we still see a lot of parallels, given the fucked up nature of the world that is parallel to our real world. We think it's important to keep that credibility. I'll say this though. In the real world, we do have people with wealth and power who have some lofty designs on the nature of reality and how technology can manipulate that reality. It's in the realm that I think we keep the show in. So he seems to be telling us people that have wealth and power, such as White Rose and Philip Price, are somehow using this technology to control the populace, to alter the reality that they're seeing in order to achieve their own end goals. And that I see as being entirely possible. Now, I don't know what machines like this are doing to serve that purpose, but we talked about it a little bit last time. Things like the Mandela effect, where they are shutting down communications and the media, news, stuff that society is hearing right now is only what they want them to hear until they finally believe that it's true. The story they're being given now becomes their reality. But there still, for me, then, is a question about how Elliot fits in. And they say here, his will must be our guide. He's still moving this game forward somehow. It doesn't seem like he's entirely a pawn. As much as he's being moved around by them, he's doing what they want. They're even saying he'll die when the time comes. They need him for something. What really took me out in a different direction was the next scene with Elliot at Angela's house. He starts talking to us for the first time this season. He says, are you still there? Am I? What did we miss? Did you see anything? I blacked out. If I'm alive, I must have been right. None of it was real. I'm the one in control, the one with the power. But why doesn't it feel that way? That's when Angela comes in and says the electricity has been out for a week. Tyrell brought him there yesterday, but he's been unconscious for six days. The parallel is right there. Elliot's been unconscious for a week. And the electricity has been out for a week. (sighs) Okay, that's not a mistake. That has to coincide. And that got me thinking about what you said, that none of this is real. Maybe it's not a dream. Okay, that's a lame trope. But somehow, this is what Elliot's seeing. It's not for real reality. It's so hard to go down this road because once we do, we're stuck there, right? Now, there's no rules in the game. And nothing's real anyways. So... 
I put that in the back of my head. But Sam, especially this episode, just keeps shoving it down our throats. Not in a bad way, but he keeps going. Parallel universe, time travel. What if I can change everything right now? Down to, and I was going to save this, but I think this is an opportune time. Even things that you don't realize he's saying it. When they go to the hacker space and Elliot is talking about the game that everyone's playing Mm -hmm. and you think, okay, this isn't important. You know, I'm looking at the background. What am I missing? Wow, this camera one shot is beautiful. When I watch it again, I actually listen to what he's saying. And he's saying, with this game, it's easy to find the key. You have to find out how they're playing it. And then you can manipulate the pieces yourself to get to the key. Mm -hmm. Just think about that. If you extrapolate that, that's the life he's in, right? If you're in a matrix and you figure out you're in the matrix, you're Neo. And now you can fly, you can stop bullets, you can do whatever you want inside this game because you have the key. Yeah, and there's so much reference to that throughout. And you say, if we get caught up in this idea now, but it's not just now because we've seen realities that we think are true, like Elliot at his mother's house, become other realities where he's actually in a prison. We've seen him escape into an 80s, 90s sitcom show for a whole episode where quite clearly nothing is real. We've seen him get shot and not be affected because psychologically it's only happening in his mind. So haven't we been given that information this whole time? There's nothing else to believe but that somehow what we're seeing is inside of Elliot's head. Now, I don't know how that plays out, and that's still a very interesting story to see how Esmail tells us that. Yeah, I mean, even when they zoomed out out of the plant into his eye, there's so many things, and I, it's just Sam Esmail is... Is messing with us, man. But if we come back to the psychology of what's happening with Elliot here, he fought so long and hard in season two to try to take back that control from Mr. Robot. He thought he was actually getting somewhere in the closing scene of season two. He was confident he had it figured out. Even Tyrell wasn't real, right? These were just manifestations. He was coming to the point of, they are alters. I'm the main personality. I can take back this control if I want to. But getting shot and now realizing that getting shot was real has changed everything for him. His power is gone. He doesn't know what to believe anymore. And even if Mr. Robot is still just an alter, he's the one that has the power now. Elliot's being shunted into the background and he doesn't know what to do about that. So he thinks the only way to move forward is to take it back for himself. And part of that is to undo the mistakes that he believes he's made to find a way to stop the operation and to stop Tyrell. Just not going to happen. It's not going to (laughs) happen. And Angela tells him, you know, telling the police is not an option. They've warned that if Elliot does that, they will kill her. I mean, she was on her way to turn herself into the FBI when she was taken by the Dark Army. This is when we see Elliot put on that awesome shirt, property of Josh Groban, (laughs) which is just, you know, it's another little levity in this deep show. And it's also a fun callback for us to her ex, Ollie, where he was talking about Josh Groban night at the bar. Oh, my God. I forgot (laughs) about that. (laughs) Which is great. I want that shirt. Speaking of shirts, we just released a whole new line of uh, updated gear for the Coffee Clatch Crew podcast. It's called Clatch Nation Gear. And I won't get too far into it. Just check it out, coffeeclatchcrew.com forward slash gear. It's pretty cool. And we just ordered it. We got it in the mail. I can't wait to wear them. 
There's t-shirts, hats, and tote bags, which we did the first time for women. And of course, we had to order one of each so we could see what it looked like. I got the tote bag in. I'm pleasantly surprised with how well it printed on there. Yeah, It's more of a silky canvas than a rough canvas texture, which I like. And the hat that you got, the embroidery on it is really clean and nice. Yeah, it was a challenge to design for embroidery. There's a lot of rules because the needle can't do certain cornering and the lines have to be 0.05 millimeters thick at least, but it's really great. It's embroidered, high quality hat. It's not one of those cheap ones. It says Clatch Nation in the front has our logo on it. And then on the right side, it has the Clatch Nation flag. So if you want to help out the podcast and look cool while doing it, just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com forward slash gear. And there you can look at all the different designs we have. And if you're a Patreon member, you always get 10% off. Back to Elliot, who leaves Angela's house to investigate the warehouse and realizes they did a full wipe down. He's wondering why he doesn't feel Mr. Robot and if it's possible the bullet actually killed him. Now, I find this strange because in the last scene, he was saying how his power had been taken away from him. Clearly, he hasn't gotten over on Mr. Robot and Tyrell is real, but he can't let go of that hope that maybe that's why Mr. Robot's not coming out. And either way, he has to continue forward with his plan, which we don't know how he's intending to do that now, but to shut down their access. So he goes back to his apartment. I like when the show gives us information interspersed about what's going on with society. And we get that in the form of Elliot's landlord, who's desperately trying to rent out apartments. And he's telling him to tell his friends, tell anybody you know, I have to get people in here. This just goes to show you our society is very volatile. You take one thing away and everything can get thrown out of whack. There's no electricity. There's no, well, there's a bank, but essentially you can only withdraw a little bit at a time, which means people are probably moving out, right? They can't afford to live in apartments. So now landlords don't have the money. They have empty space. It just goes on. It It seems a lot of the jobs have ceased. So how do they find a way to make new money? And if you go on to... The whoismrrobot.com website, we're going to talk about that a little more later. They have some new stuff up for this season. And in the image gallery, they're showing a bunch of different photos. A lot of them are people looking for jobs. And it just says things like, we'll work for food. We'll do anything. Please hire me. And some of them are for housing spaces as well. So it's clear that the state of the country is falling into anarchy to a certain extent. When Elliot comes in to find Darlene, I also thought this was interesting. He is acting differently than we've seen him before. In season one, we saw a lot of the quirkiness to Elliot's personality revolving around his social awkwardness, being unable to deal with people and things that are overwhelming. But I don't know if I've ever seen him so paranoid and jumpy. He's running around the room saying people could be listening, looking outside the window, Darlene's not safe. She's trying to tell him some important information. The fact that Cisco is dead and the Dark Army turned on them, she thinks she's next. But he's sort of half listening. And I don't know if a lot of that revolves around how much he cares about her and he's really worried for her safety. But this is also the conversation where they're talking about stage two and she's upset with him. She thinks he was planning it behind her back this whole time. And how could he do something like blow up an entire building? That's not what they signed on for. Yeah, she knew nothing about it. But she's asking a lot of questions about stage two. Who's involved? What is it? It just makes me think the last time we saw her, she was with Dom and we never saw a resolve. What 
what was the reaction? Why was she released? So is she working for Dom in the FBI? Oh, you think she's maybe trying to get information out of him to bring back? Yeah, and not like she's against Elliot. I think she's, in her mind, she's doing it for Elliot. This will protect him and help him if she can work with the FBI. Well, she knows now stage two has to be stopped. This is crazy. They're talking about doing something dangerous and not at all like what any of the plans were before that. And Elliot agrees with that. He doesn't want this building blown up either. He tries to tell her this wasn't him that orchestrated that. But I think you could be right. She's gotten to the point where she's living in such fear of the Dark Army. We saw that kind of building up to a crescendo all last season that they were after them. They're picking them off one at a time, and eventually they're going to come for her. And that really culminates in our next scene at the hacker space where it turns into a full-blown panic attack for her. So maybe she just needs to find a way to stop all of this. It's spiraling out of control. So next, let's talk about the scene at the hacker space where Darlene takes Elliot to this secret place, an underground den, that is apparently the only hacker space with dedicated fiber connection. Just to begin, do you feel like it's unlikely in reality when there's such a huge energy crisis and we can't even find lights? How are these people even getting this electricity to power this place? Well, we know it's run by the Dark Army. And if the Dark Army is in with the government, then that is a way you could do it. And do you think they're actually trying to get them to solve bigger questions they have in technology, but under the guise of this capture the flag game? Perhaps. Yeah, there's got to be a reason for it, right? Or maybe they're just trying to recruit hackers. Oh, that could be too. I mean, they know Elliot is the best and he goes in there and he does it in two seconds. Yeah, he's showing his brilliance again. And I do love scenes where they remind us of that. Yeah. It, it just also reminds me that if he wasn't so mentally broken the possibilities of this genius what what would he be able to accomplish absolutely he figures out the weakness in two seconds he tells one of the hackers you could poison the data and make it run whatever code you want as you were saying before once you know the full board you can derive the key but as he gets on the computer he tells darlene he also sees the men that have been following them he knows it's dark army and she shouldn't worry they're after him but he also recognizes she's having an attack and he says that like it's very commonplace. The way Darlene knows that Elliot has his psychological issues and she can tell when he's switching back and forth between different people, he also knows to anticipate there's going to be times where she suffers these. So I think this is something that has been ongoing for a long time. And it's another area of Darlene's psyche that we haven't gotten to see yet. It starts building to the point that she has to leave and go to the bathroom so she can really kind of get it out of her system. And it's a pretty good portrayal of what having a panic attack feels like. You know, she can't breathe. She just has to start screaming. She's freaking out. And the big reason is because she thinks the Dark Army is everywhere. They're out to get her. She's so afraid that she calls someone and tells them to help her. The Dark Army is everywhere. Who does Who she call? Who is she calling? I don't know. So was Angela? that... I was thinking that supports your theory that she's an informant for Dom. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's Dom. And I think that's a very small note that could have been missed if you weren't watching carefully. Did they bring her back out as Elliot solves the final round in two minutes? He's trying to undo the operation. As soon as he beats the game, he goes in. He says, all I have to do is hack the registrar, hijack the domain, shut down their access before the Dark Army notices. And he does shut down the back door, but before he can uninstall... The men come over and turn off his computer. 
So we're still not sure how much exactly he was able to accomplish. We see Mr. Robot getting frustrated that he was able to do this much to bar their access. But it seems like they think they can find a way back in. Well, yeah, he shut the door, but he didn't uninstall the program. So the program's still there. Mm -hmm. Mr. Robot can go back in there now and just turn it back on. Can he? I believe so. I mean, Elliot is, is brilliant. Is it easy enough for them to figure out a way to get back into it? Well, Mr. Robot is Elliot. This is a question I had wondered at for some time, too. Does he retain all of Elliot's hacking abilities when he's Mr. Robot? It seems like he has some of them. Mm -hmm. But they still need Elliot for some of it. Right. I mean, they're keeping him around for these purposes. Whenever they really need something technologically advanced, they still use Elliot. I wonder. And that's quite common when you have somebody who's experiencing dissociative identity disorder and has multiple personalities, they can retain some of that common nature that's shared between them, but they each take on their own very distinct identity to the point that they can have different physiological things happening, different illnesses, different strengths within them. They can speak different languages. So they might not all have access to the same knowledge, memories, and abilities. Hmm. Curious. One other thing to note here a little Easter egg. There was 1984 graffiti framed on the wall inside the hacker space. Yeah, with an arrow going down to get into there. So what does that mean? It's got to mean something. It's Sam Asmel. Yeah, well, the time traveler theories were saying, oh, clearly it's taking place in 1984, but there's a very other distinct possibility that this could represent the George Orwell novel titled 1984, And it's all about Big Brother and how he controls this totalitarian state that they call Oceana. Yeah. Well, Sam plays with this often, and he has for the last two seasons. Of course, the book 1984. The slasher flick, The Careful Massacre of the Bourgeoisie, was from 1984. Yeah, that's right. So are are these tip-offs that the year 1984 was important? It's got to be, because there's a few more. Last season, Elliot was writing Van Halen 1984 on the disc during the door knock. The torrent file says the movie is from 1984, and the year 1984 is spelled out in the balloons on screen. There is... I'm, I'm talking about past episodes. So we'll keep an eye on how that year plays into the storyline moving forward. After this, Elliot allows the men to take them outside. Before they can leave with them, though, Irving pulls up and tells them to get into his car that the FBI is also following them. So that would fit in with what you're saying. If Angela called Dom to come get her, and now they've come to this location and are trying to follow them. But Irving has a plan for this either way. As they're driving, he instructs them to look up the license plate of the car behind them on his computer with the DMV lookup program. I love this. He makes a fake call as Detective Robert Abernathy to report the stolen vehicle and say he needs to initiate a slowdown. When he provides the VIN number, it stops the car. How do they do that? Oh, well, that's been around for years now. I think it's called LoJack. Yeah, LoJack. Basically, if your car's stolen, they could kind of like pin it with LoJack, and I believe they can slow down the car as well. I didn't know they could actually control the car, though. That's crazy. Yeah, and I used to have a Jeep Cherokee, and you could hack into that car and actually slow it down, too. Oh, that is scary. But I have a question, and we might get yelled at by the internet, because this might be a dumb question. The Dark Army take them outside and walk away. 
So they were just kicking them out? They weren't like going to take them somewhere? I think they were saying to follow them because Darlene was trying to tell him to go. And Elliot was saying, no, I want to talk to them. It's just that Irving pulled up and scooped them before they could do anything. So those two guys walked away saying like, we're going to come back with a car, just stand here. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the logistics of it. I think we missed something or there. Or maybe they, you know, if Irving's with them, maybe this was their intention. Because we know Irving's working for the Dark Army. So that car behind them was the FBI or the Dark Army? The FBI. So when he asked for a slowdown... He was they, trying to get the FBI off their tracks. If it's an FBI car, wouldn't the person on the other end say, I can't slow them down, that's an FBI, FBI vehicle? You would think if they knew, maybe it was undercover. It sounds like this Detective Abernathy is a real person. Somehow he's done this before and uh, he knows it's going to work. Yeah, it's probably one of his... But but I'm guessing, you know, that the Dark Army people were told, bring him outside and Irving's going to come collect him. So I did a Google because Abernathy sounded really familiar to me. <laughs> but um, a, a few things came up and it's kind of fun. But also, I think it's because Westworld... Peter Abernathy. Yeah, and I father. think that's why my brain was like, Abernathy, that means something. <laughs> well, in real life, Robert Abernathy was an American science fiction author, so this could be another of Esmail's Easter eggs. I'm sure there are people out there that know of his books. Yeah. So if there's something cool in the content there, please feel free to write in and tell us about it. So Irving takes them back to the Red Wheelbarrow. Elliot is now realizing this is clearly a dark army front and putting it together that he believes Irving is the guy who left him the menu last season. Red wheelbarrow. Did they get that from me or did I get it from them? However it happened, it's clearly a dark army front now. This must be the guy that sent me that fucking menu. He tells Elliot he wants him to catch him up. So Elliot starts to give him this information. I was wondering at first, why is he telling him all this? He doesn't know who this guy is. He tells him he shut the back door and wants to call off the operation. But I put it together that he must know this guy is working for White Rose and he wants the message to get to her because he wants to call off the operation. Of course, yeah. He was putting it together when he saw they were going into Red, red Wheelbarrel. He's like, this must be a dark army front. This guy must have sent me the menu last season and just put two and two together for sure. And now we know that Irving knows Elliot, or at least Elliot's face, because they've spoken before many times. Of course, as Mr. Robot. And Irving tries to tell him their employer will be disappointed by this. She believes the plan lives or dies by its creator. So again, stressing Elliot's importance in the whole operation. And that might explain why White Rose wasn't going to let her underlink do stage two for them so elliot returns to darlene and she says she doesn't buy that stage two has been called off but he basically says even if not the only goal now is to survive which is kind of true i mean irving just threatened him we can put the bullet back in yeah. you ha you don't have a choice really you have to do this but he then thinks to himself after she storms out that she was right he can't trust them it was too easy to call it off and maybe she was even right about him and that's when they go into this whole speech that Elliot has to himself about the revolution and how it left them powerless. Yeah, and we won't go deep into that speech again, but I have to say, I love these parts of this show. And some of the blogs out there thought that this wasn't a good section in this episode, and I don't understand why. They were saying it was kind of like speechy, and it's like, this is what we love, is when Elliot gets into his rants. Yeah, I think... 
if you're taking it on the face of things, these scenes are very much like Sam Esmail trying to put forth his own ideas through Eliot's soliloquies. Yeah, perhaps you could look at it that way. I did read in an interview, Sam Esmail was asked, like, are you afraid to go into politics? And he said, yeah, I know that if you bring up politics and you try to give your opinion, you're bound to make half your audience at least mad at you. But he was saying that he's not necessarily saying that Trump is bad or anything like that. He's kind of just speaking the words of what the nation is feeling. He said it way better than that. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure that's true. But the picture they're painting here is very clear of the opinion that Elliot has of the situation and everything that's going on. But I really take these scenes, such as this one and the one where Elliot was talking to himself in the middle of Times Square, to be more of an insight into his own psyche. What is he feeling at the moment? He's talking to us to tell us that he messed up. This whole operation, he kind of wishes it never happened because it didn't work out the way he was hoping. He's not saving everything. All he's done is break it even further. And now he wants to undo that. He wants to fix it. They also remind us of the people who have died, the characters that he's lost that I think emotionally resonate with him. We see these in memoriam posters on the wall. There's Gideon, Cisco, Romero, and Shayla. And I had almost forgotten about Shayla. Who I did forget about Shayla. Such a huge character to him. So this sparks Elliot to go back to Angela and tell her that she needs to get him a job at E-Corp. He needs to fix what he did from the inside. Right away. What did you think when you heard that? I couldn't believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe that that would ever be Elliot's plan. And even if it was, he must know that they're never going to allow it. And if they do allow it, it's because they want him there and they want to utilize him. So unless he knows all of that and he still thinks that he can play a double agent and get the information the way Angela did, Mm -hmm. it feels like he's being a little naive throughout this episode, believing he took the power back from Mr. Robot, believing he called off stage two, believing he can work inside of E-Corp. I mean, that just doesn't feel like our suspicious, wary Elliot who knows the way the world works. Yeah, I think at this point, maybe he's thinking, if I get this job, it's because they want me there, but... I can play the game and still find out what I need to find out. But more importantly, I think this is an opportunity for Mr. Robot as a show to get Elliot back into a regimen, right? Because I think it might get lost if Elliot is just wandering around for a whole season again. Like in season one, he worked at Mm -hmm. Allsafe and it was the drone of nine to five and how that was affecting him. Then season two, he was in jail, but in his head, he was getting better So this is to have him going somewhere again. Yeah, and also to put him back in the thick of things because he's really been on the outskirts of where the power players are. So we used to have Tyrell within E-Corp to figure out what's going on there. And last season we had Angela there. So we have to have eyes and ears on the major corporation. I'm wondering, though, if that's going to put him back on the FBI radar because we saw last season... With Dom's web of characters, she had Tyrell right in the middle. And I think a big part of that was the position he had at E-Corp. So he's no longer going to be able to kind of be invisible, I think, if he makes that move. But we also talked about how this is the scene where we get the really intense emotional back and forth between him and Angela. He says he wants her to keep an eye on him. That's really the bigger thing of being around her so that she can alert him if he changes to Mr. Robot. 
I know, boy, because he doesn't know. (laughs) We didn't either at that time. He thinks she's the only one that can tell and the only one he can trust. And that is so sad, given what we see a few moments later. That's the interaction where he tries to kiss her. She says it was a mistake. And this is her power saver mode. This is also where she made that key statement about what if we could make it like none of this ever happened? If we could take it all back from the very beginning. I think we've talked that to exhaustion. It's something Mm -hmm. we have to keep an eye out on and remain suspicious of that theory. Also, was that QWERTY that we saw at the end of the scene where Elliot goes to lay down and there's a fish tank next to him? I think so. I think so. (laughs) Because we all wondered where he went, right? So what does that represent? He's feeling back in his comfort, even though it's fake comfort? I don't know, because that was kind of important in season one. Yeah. And I think Angela does still represent that. I mean, when he tells us she's the only one I can trust, he's thinking about all of their past history growing up together, the things that they've shared. One of those big things is the loss of their parents. And as you said, that still intensely motivates Angela to try to make that right. For sure. And I just want to press upon again, and it it doesn't bother me that much, but we have to say it. Elliot's just been shot. It's been less than a week, and he's walked around since he woke up this whole episode, right? And then when he goes to sleep, he wakes up right away again as Mr. Robot, so no sleep. And now Mr. Robot's walking around doing his thing. He has a gunshot wound. Yes, it was taken care of, but it's still a wound. And now he's not getting sleep, and he's running around the city. His brain is functional enough to do these hard equations, and and it's just a little troublesome for me. Well, that could play into the theory that somehow Elliot is being experimented on, if you want to go there, and and I know that kind of takes us off on a tangent again, but Marley wrote into us with a theory to say, what if the reason that Elliot's father died was in order to plant or upload his consciousness into Elliot's brain, because that's going to play a role in the bigger scheme of things? So what if they are trying to turn Elliot into some type of artificial intelligence and the programming they put in is in the form of his father so that he'll feel at least a little more comfortable about the intrusion, but it essentially controls him, shuts him down whenever he starts to get out of line and takes over and forces Elliot to do what they want him to do. Looking back at that hacker scene when he's talking about the key, maybe Marley's saying essentially he is the key. Or if he could find it he could turn that off. He could stop that. We also had another Clatcher, James, remarking on the fact that Angela was acting a little strange in this episode and how she shut down when Elliot tried to kiss her, almost like she was powered down. But I think that's more about her defense mechanisms going in, like we were talking about before. That was the most awkward kiss on TV ever. (laughs) And he noted, like we said, that this could be her need to switch from Elliot's friend Angela to Mr. Robot's cohort in the same way that Elliot has to switch back and forth. So I definitely agree with that analysis. And later, Angela wakes up to find out Elliot has become Mr. Robot. He is very concerned that as long as Elliot exists, he will try to stop them. But she insists they just need to redirect his energy. Perhaps that's why she's getting him this job at E-Corp. They leave to go to a meeting, but before they do, she brings something just in case Elliot comes back, quote unquote. It looked to me like a pouch where you keep needles in, a needle and something that you put into the needle. So to drug him? Yeah. To sedate him? We tried, we rewound it like four times and they don't give you a close enough look. 
No, you just see the black case, and as she's sort of zipping and unzipping, they pan away with the camera. Remember, he was a drug addict. I'm wondering if they're saying as a last resort, if we can just make Elliot the drug addict again, we can control him better. Oh, I was thinking psychotropic medication. Like when people are chemically sedated, when you're at a hospital, they'll give you a shot and it essentially just knocks you out for a while. Yeah, that might be good too, because that's a better alternative than shooting him. So yeah, you're right. And also maybe if they sedate him to that level, all it would do is bring Mr. Robot out. Maybe. It could be an easy way to switch them. Angela also gives us a good clue before they leave on how she recognizes whenever he switches to Mr. Robot. It's the fact that in Robot Persona, he never looks away. He maintains eye contact. So that could be a way that we as viewers can watch out for that switch because they do play with us sometimes visually, such as the scene later where she's on the subway with him. She looks one second, it's Mr. Robot. When she says, I'm really still talking to Elliot, we see Elliot again. Mm. The way she's viewing him, he still looks like that. <laughs> but to us as the audience, it can get very confusing. There was even a scene in season two where Mr. Robot comes out. We see Elliot in the bathroom, but we hear Mr. Robot that. talking from the living room. That was crazy. So it's not always easy to keep track, and that could be a good indicator. But after they leave, Angela takes Mr. Robot to Irving for their meeting, who's concerned about Elliot's state, and also the fact that they're behind schedule, and White Rose, after all, likes punctuality, but she tells him she's got it under control. This is her job. This is what they sent her in to do, was to manage Elliot. This is also the scene we talked about where Tyrell apologizes to Mr. Robot, the only real interaction we get with Tyrell here. I can't get over how different Tyrell is now. He hasn't even tried to contact his wife. He seems totally enamored with stage two. All of his other endeavors that really was his goal of power and all that is gone. And I'm curious to find out what really happened with Tyrell and what's going on with him now. Yeah, well, it seems that there are people within this mission that have really been converted in almost a religious way over time. So Mr. Robot was able to do that with Tyrell. I know there was a lot of speculating and maybe that's still open for conjecture on if this is a romantic love that Tyrell feels for Mr. Robot. And that could be, but we talked about how based on his red wheelbarrow speech, it felt more like he was a zealot. He talks about their mission being divine and it's a greater purpose. There is nothing more important in his mind, similar to the way it seems Angela's been brought over to White Rose's plan and converted in a sense. So we will talk about it in a few minutes. We're definitely going to see some more of Tyrell soon and I guess get some answers to that. Here, Mr. Robot sort of brushes that off. He did what he had to do. And then he sits down to a computer and searches a website, a search engine for power plants. Well, yeah, it's actually even more than that. It's not just for power plants. I did some research and I was in way over my head. <laughs> and I even asked, I work at IT, I even asked some of my IT friends, and they had never seen it before. But this is a real website called Shodan.io. And it's a search engine that lets the user find specific types of computers, webcarns, routers, servers, etc., connected to the internet using a variety of filters. Some have also described it as a search engine of service banners, which are metadata the server sends back to the client. This can be information about the server software, what options the service supports, a welcome message, or anything else that the client can find out before interacting with the server. 
Okay, what the hell did I just read? <laughs> okay, so if you have a camera at home, and a lot of people have IP cameras now, you can sign on to a website or your phone and you can even control your camera. Well, that camera speaks to the server, your server. And it says, you know, says hello, it says connected. With this search engine, you can search those, that metadata of it speaking and you can find out how to get into that camera. Okay. It's trippy. It was launched in 2000, and that's just one example. It was launched in 2009 by, com- by a computer programmer named John Matherly, who in 2003 conceived the idea of searching devices linked to the internet. The name Shodan, or Shodan, I might be saying it wrong, mm-hmm. if it's a, is a reference to Shodan, a character from the System Shock video game series. Very nerdy, right? So just to dive a little bit deeper, Shodan users are able to find systems including traffic lights, security cameras, home heating systems, as well as control systems for water parks, gas stations, water plants, power grids, nuclear power plants, and particle acceleration cyclotrons. Oh, there it is, the accelerator. And this is the thing. Most have little security. Many devices use admin as their username and 1234 as their password. Oh, dear. And the only software required to connect to them is a web browser. So hackers can use this website, and that's what Mr. Robot is doing. So he knows what's at the heart of this is that accelerator that's out the Washington Township plant. He also has that information inside of his brain, and he's maybe able to control it using these by hacking the site. We know he was looking specifically at that because below it it said Evil Corp Product Alfresco. I'm guessing that's what it's named. So real quick, just to put a pin on Shodan, you would think, I was thinking, well, why is this legal? How is this able to be on the internet. Yep. Well, the primary users are cybersecurity professionals, researchers and law enforcement agencies. And while cybercriminals can use this website, some typically have access to botnets that could accomplish the same task without detection. So, yes, cybercriminals who know their shit can use this, but they have better ways of using it. This would be more something the Elliot of Season 1 would have used in his work at Allsafe let's say, if they did work for the government and nuclear power plants. Oh, for sure. When he was doing it, his upfront job, when he wasn't being Yeah, as a cybersecurity engineer for all safe. So it's very interesting. And uh, I mean, again, it's way past what my knowledge is of technology, but we learned something. And when that's happening, they go back to Angela's face for a moment. And there is a look on her face. I'm not even sure what it means. She seems completely distressed. This carries into the next scene. I know you had said last time you feel she's working for Mr. Robot because he's the one keeping the plan on track, but I don't think she's happy about it. She's pushing this agenda along because only Mr. Robot can get that done. But whenever she's talking to him throughout these couple of scenes, she looks tormented. She's really not happy about the role she has to play. But could that torment be because of her past about her mom? Because she does go into that speech about her mother. Perhaps, but it seemed to come out even initially when Mr. Robot's questioning her on why she's doing this. Making her feel like she should feel bad about being a double agent. And she almost spits back at him. I'm not going to talk to you like I talk to Elliot. You and I are not friends. And he's really pushing her buttons and arguing that Angela is taking advantage of Elliot's condition. And that's what she's trying to put up her argument that... 
He's the one that started this. She's just trying to help him finish it and push him along. I mean, isn't that what Mr. Robot himself does? Exactly. Mr. Robot is taking advantage of Elliot as well. But he realizes that she doesn't trust him. He says, yes, that's the main goal, but we need to trust each other in order to do that. And it doesn't sound like she's giving him that yet. That's when she launches into the speech about doing this for her parents. Evil Corp killed my mom. My whole life, I've always wanted justice for her death. But how do you bring justice to a conglomerate as untouchable as E Corp? I thought I would never win. Even after I found out about your crazy plan, I still didn't believe it was possible. And that's when she goes into White Rose's plan. Yeah, not until I met White Rose. But here's my question to you. Does Angela not know White Rose and the Dark Army are directly implicated in her mother's death? I don't think she does yet. I mean, it was only the end of season two that she even began to interact with White Rose. And I have a feeling she's only sharing with Angela as much as she needs her to know the way she does with everybody else to keep this going. And we said the weird ending note after she finishes that speech, the power comes back on. So tell me, what does this mean? Is it because she's waking up or something? Is that what it is supposed to show? I honestly have no idea. They're definitely giving us cues that when important moments happen, we see a change in the electricity. We talked a lot about last season when certain events would take place and the power would flicker in the background or we would go into those rolling brownouts. When there were moments of danger, we would see the red lights somewhere in the background. When Elliot himself was unconscious, apparently, at the beginning of this season, for six days, the power was completely shut off. It does seem to correlate, even if it's not in some crazy science fiction way, in a symbolic way, to how our characters are moving forward when things that go along with the plan and are good, quote-unquote, happen, the power comes back on. Could it also just be something as simple as the Dark Army... White Rose shut down the power to stop the progression of Evil Corp putting all their paper information back into computers until Elliot, Mr. Robot, was back onto the task? That could definitely be. I think it depends on how at odds or in bed with each other those two are. You know, we still don't really have that defined, the relationship between White Rose and Philip Price. How much of a partnership is it? Is one of them playing the other more than they think? I'm hoping we'll come back to seeing those two interact soon. So we've touched upon those top three questions we came out of the episode with. I don't think that we answered many of them, but we have some good ideas and theories about where that could be going. You can feel free to keep sending in comments related to that, and we'll give you some new questions when we come up to episode two. That sums up our synopsis, so let's go into our robot rating. On a scale of 1 to 10 robots, what do you give episode 3.0 Power Saver Mode? I'm going to go with 8.9 robots, which is a good score for me. It was a great episode. It was a perfect way to reintroduce us to the Mr. Robot world. It's been over a year. Remind them what's happening and push the story forward. I agree. I think that we both gave 8.8 and 8.9, if I'm remembering, for season 2, episode 1. And very similarly, I'm going to give it 9 robots. I thought they came back with more of a bang than I expected. Like we said, that return to form, the mixing in the plot progression, the new characters, the psychology. 
There's obviously way more questions than answers as we would expect out of a season premiere. But nonetheless, I was pleasantly surprised by how much we did get, and I really enjoyed it and made me excited for the rest of season three. And for MVH, Most Valuable Hacker, we put up our poll online with three options, Elliot, Irving, and Angela, and we have our results. The winner at number one with 56% is Elliot. Number two was Angela with 28%, and number three, Irving with 16%. Thank you guys so much for participating in that. This is so much fun. We'll keep them going every episode. If everyone retweets it, we can get even more people voting and more people listening. And of course, we will run that poll with new choices for every episode throughout the season. So Christina, what was your MVH? Mine, I think for the first time, maybe goes to Angela. It's got to be the first time. You know, I didn't love her character in season two, and I think that's what it was intended to be. Yes. But thus, it made it very difficult for me to ever want to nominate her. Of course, we got a lot of increased screen time this episode. That's just going to have an impact on its own. But we got to see another side of her. She was able to portray a lot of emotion. And I think plot-wise, having her as a double agent, so to speak, is going to be really intriguing. So I was excited for the possibilities that presents. Yeah, it's going to be very intriguing, and of course, Sam's going to use that as a tool to throw us off our game constantly. My MVH, I went with Elliot. Now, the reason being, and I'll probably do Elliot often because he's <laughs> the main character, but I felt in this particular episode, there was no standout character, and that was purposefully because everyone really was carrying the weight of this episode. There was so much that Sam had to do to reintroduce the storyline, to reestablish a new narration and to continue to pull along the past narration. So as far as this episode, Rami Malek's performance, as always, kicked ass. He's the one that makes Mr. Robot what Mr. Robot is. He had my favorite scene, which is when he went on his rant, and he was the catalyst of the narration to us. And I always enjoy that. That's what's so different about this show. I thought he was incredibly exciting, this episode, and trying so valiantly to fight back against... Mm -hmm these overwhelming odds, this thing that he put into motion but is so far beyond his reach now, I just thought he failed. You know, by the end of the episode, it's the way we felt at certain points last season, there's no winning this. As he said, his power has been taken away, whereas Angela we saw kind of holding a lot more power than even we thought and able to manipulate our main character behind the scenes, which is a little depressing but also exciting. And while we're talking about Elliot and Rami Malek, I had meant to do this in our prepper, but we had so much information, it just we just didn't have time to. Something really fun, a little bit of a fun fact, is Rami Malek is going to be playing Freddie Mercury in a movie called Bohemian Rhapsody. It'll be out December 25th in 2018. And it chronicles Queen from 1970 when Freddie teamed with Brian May and Roger Taylor until the band's performance at Live Aid in 1985, six years before the singer died of complications from AIDS. It's pretty cool. I'm very interested. There's one picture of Rami playing him, and it, they made him look like it. <laughs> so I'm wondering what they're going to do about the singing and how Rami Malek's going to play his character. Freddie Mercury is one of the gods of music. He had so much talent. His octaves were insane. So I'm excited. Maybe this will be a movie for our Patreon listeners. Oh, absolutely. I would love to review that. And if you want to hear our other movie reviews before Christmas of 2018, you can always sign up for our Patreon subscription to get bonus episodes and movie reviews. 
It's basically a way for you guys to help us out. We do a lot of work for free. It costs us money and time. And this way you can help us out with subscribing and you get more content for you helping us. Right. It's, you know, you get a lot for that in return too. Membership only exclusive content. As an example, we just reviewed it for our movie this past month. That was really exciting. Those reviews tend to be a bit longer. We do a lot of research that goes into the in-depth behind-the-scenes stuff for the movies. And the bonus casts are a bit more laid back, very fun and relaxing. We talk about a variety of different topics. So there should be an option that suits everyone. Yeah, and all Patreon members get 10% off our gear. So it's a win-win for you guys. Continuing on with the extras, I mentioned before that whoismrrobot.com has some new stuff up there. When you sign on, you get a new welcome. Hello, friend. Welcome back. The battle continues. The question is what shape it takes now. To save the world, must we first destroy it? Or is the answer to work from within? When everyone wears a mask, how do we know who the true enemy is? Sooner or later, we are all faced with a decision. We can give up or sharpen our resolve. Push forward or hit reset. Fall or fight on. Disintegrate or evolve. The revolution is here again. What will be your choice? And so you can go on and check out. They have some new downloads. There's photos of Tyrell pressing on Elliot's stomach in the moment after he was shot. And remember Irving was telling him, you don't want to do that. That's a bad (laughs) idea. There's a lot of new stuff to take a look at. For Clatcher's comments, we kind of mixed those into the episode this time. We talked about them where they were relevant. But there was one more from Rabbit Bark in the Season Prepper podcast, I had mentioned we were going through the episode titles and what they could mean, and one of them says Frederick and Tanya. And I said, what does that even mean? So they point out that those were the aliases Mobley and Trenton assumed after leaving the city. That was in that end credit scene during the season two finale episode where they talk about wanting to undo everything. <laughs> so I think I had forgotten those were the names they used. Thank you very much for reminding us of that information. And Christina lied. We actually have two more, but they're from Twitter. Oren wrote to us, said, In my opinion, time travel and multiverse are two red herrings. Mr. Robot was never about breaking the laws of physics. Again, so he's taking the scientific approach. He thinks that a lot of these theories, although fun, uh, aren't the way Sam Asimo is going to break it down. And I could definitely agree. That's why we like to try to cover both. What I want to put out there to the Clatchers is, if you are of that opinion... Um, What do you think the plan is? Because I'm having trouble developing that in my head. You know, if it's not time travel or parallel universes, all these comments that Esmail's putting in, how do they fit into it? And I could definitely see with your theory that this is not real. Somehow we're viewing it from inside Elliot's brain. But if you have other thoughts on that or to expand upon it, we would love to hear it. And back to the MVH, sorry, I missed this. Mojam wrote, Choosing Elliot's character as MVP is easy and cliche. I like Bobby Cannavale's cool and calm character, Irving. I agree with you, Mojam. I have a feeling I'm going to be voting Irvin a lot this season, so I wanted to save him, even though I will be probably voting Elliot more times too. So that concludes the main information for this episode. I do have a couple of those spoilery pieces of information. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time. For everyone that's still here, we have our brief description of episode 3.1, undo.gz. Elliot becomes encouraged, trying to undo 5-9. Darlene gets stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mr. Robot sparks a panic. 
When does Mr. Robot not spark a panic? Well, you know, they got to keep it vague. I'm looking forward to it. Just um, to remind the Clatchers, we won't be doing any instant coffee episodes until the last episode of the season for a few reasons. One, this show on the East Coast starts really late and we work the next day and it's very difficult to get a podcast, get the notes done, make sense of it so that we don't sound dumb on the podcast and record that late edit and go live. Last week, I didn't go to sleep till 3.30 a.m. <laughs> yeah, well, we know a lot of times, too, the big episodes are the premiere and the finale. So we promised the instant coffee for that because there's most likely going to be a lot to talk about. If there is one episode in between somewhere that blows us away and we really feel like we have to discuss that right away, maybe we could get it up for the next day let's say, but we're just going to take that as it comes. In the meantime, for the majority of episodes, we will just have the full review cast that will be out as soon as we can get it to you. That's it for this week. Till Wednesday, we'll be going into power saver mode and we'll catch you guys soon. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.